So the sense that I get from some of you um, over the past number of weeks is um, you're ready to move to what I call um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he sort of sermon, right? Because you come here on Sunday morning and there's some heavy things that we're working through and we're walking through. And um, you're ready for rest. I promise you, um, as the Lord wills it, as we walk through the season of Lent, that that will be um, a different mode, a different uh, thinking about uh, uh, God's word and perhaps not so um, challenging nor so exhausting. Although I certainly hope that God continues to show you and I his truth in the power of his word. But I really felt compelled um, beginning this new year in light of who we are as a culture and who we are as, a, as followers of Jesus in our culture to address some of these things because so often churches are silent when it comes to thinking about some of this stuff. And I think back to when I was a kid, I had three pastors that I can remember. I had Reverend Loss, I had Reverend Dirksen, I had Reverend Kunst. And yes, all of those are Dutch names because of the tradition that, I'm, um, that I was raised in. And I can remember, I, you know, I, I have memory of my childhood. I cannot remember any messages that Reverend Loss, Reverend Dirksen, or Reverend Kunst ever preached about sex. Now, I can remember that we had what we called teen club when we were 13 and 14. We were part of a teen club and we broached the subject. But here's what was often said, and maybe you resonate with this depending on your history, was when we talk about sex, don't. Right? I mean, in essence, that was the message. Don't. Just don't. And then when you get married... All of a sudden it's, okay, go ahead, right? Have at it. But the problem is, is that we have then, and in my generation I think there was some truth to that, and then I talked to my parents sometimes about sexuality. I can certainly remember sex ed in schools, but in terms of thinking spiritually about what sexuality is and how to live into that, I don't know that in my life the message was abundantly clear of what God's will, what God's desire is for sexuality. And so when I see folks here, and I especially see kids who are older than our Club 4-5 group who are here in church this morning, I want you in some ways to be able to say at least on some level, our church when I was a kid helped give me some understanding about what God's design is for sexuality from the Bible. Because I think that's really important. So this is a passage, or this is a sermon in many ways for young people. But it's not just for young people. What's interesting to me is that the statistics show in a crowd of 300 people here in this church this morning, there's about 300 here, give or take, 250 to 300, that there are at least 60 people, if statistics are true, who are in some way, shape, or form addicted to some sort of inappropriate, sinful sexual behavior. 60 people. That's stark if we're going according to the statistics of our culture. Now, those things could be, um, it could be pornography and all the things that result from those sorts of, of activities. There could be simply um, abusive 
behavior that goes on um, in your life in some way, shape, or form. And I know those are broad strokes, but when we talk about some of these things, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to go into some of the specifics because of some of the kids in the room, but I want you to be aware that if statistics are true, at least 60 people are, and it's not just engaged with, it's addicted. Addicted. If statistics hold true, there are another 100 Beyond that, so 160 people who've engaged in some sort of behavior within the last three months that would be considered sinful sexually, at least. So you think about those statistics within the church, not within our culture, within our church. The fact that we need to talk about a message like this is not just, um, it's, it's not just good, it's actually important. This is something that is real. Now I know again that there are some of you who are hearing this message in a different way. There are some of you who are in your 70s or 80s and you certainly have a different understanding or engagement with this topic than others. And I, I want to recognize that, that if there are many who are widows or widowers and for them the story and thinking about this is very different. However, I do want you to hear about what God's plan is so that you can Live into that yourself, but then also be in prayers of support for people in our community, our young people, as they discover and learn and grow, develop their understanding of God's view of sexuality. That you can be praying for younger couples who are navigating this and learning this in a new marriage. You can, you can pray God's protection and blessing on couples who've been married for between, let's say, 5 and 20 years. That's often where some of these uh, uh, inappropriate behaviors start and, and are built. You can be praying for couples in that. You can be praying for couples as they go through different challenges and changes in their sexual relationship. You can be praying for our singles who are trying to think about who God is to them in their own sexual behavior and what is appropriate or inappropriate as a single person. You can be a blessing not just to yourself in your learning but to others. That's why we're digging in this, into this today. This is pertinent to all of us in some way, shape, or form. And if we are going to engage in thinking about something that is important to all of us, then we need to dive into God's word to gain understanding about it. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to read the last portion of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians and the first portion of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to begin at verse 12 of chapter 6, reading the verses through 17. Starts off with this interesting phrase. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality. Now, I just want to stop for a moment. Sexual immorality in Greek, the original language the text was written in, is porneia. Porneia. You hear me? Sexual immorality, porneia. Okay, But for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, by his power God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. 
Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So Paul begins this study of sexual immorality, or as we said, porneia, by talking about freedom. And when we hear that phrase, I have the right to do anything, does that resonate in our culture? Right? I mean, in fact, we are a country that is built upon an important bill, right? It's the bill of rights. We have the right to things. And oftentimes, when we think about that right to things, especially, and Bill, I'm going to pick on you just for a moment, in Kyperian Calvinism, Kyperian Calvinism says this, all of creation proclaims the grandeur of God. Amen, Bill? Amen. Amen. Good. The only challenge is, what Paul is saying here is, yes, all of creation does proclaim the grandeur and the glory of God, and yet, even within all of creation, there are some things that I don't engage with because those things, although in some way, shape, or form, they can proclaim the grandeur of God, they are not beneficial to my or the people around me in their walk with God. So living into this idea of everything is okay, which obviously, if we're listening well to the text, the Corinthian church is doing. Corinth is a place where the church was fairly well established. This is a a, a church that Paul founded, and he had strong, uh, this was a strong community, but it was also surrounded by a Greek culture that was often pagan in its expression, and Interestingly enough, part of the religious expression of Corinth was temple prostitution. And so for Paul to write to the Corinthian church, you're right, you can do anything, but not everything is beneficial. He's saying that to Corinthians for whom some are engaging in porneia, thinking that God's grace is sufficient, right? I mean, God be praised. God's grace is sufficient. But Paul is asking the question, are you flourishing? Are you growing in your walk with God because of these things that you say you have the freedom to do? And the answer, of course, that he is saying is no. Because you're not just doing something that fulfills your own freedom. That freedom actually is moving you towards bondage. Bondage to another in whom you're engaging with porneia. Sexual immorality moves you towards these prostitutes and you're uniting uniting with them in the flesh. And there's a bondage that happens there. What Paul is in essence saying is this. When we allow our appetites to control us negatively, immorality of some sort is the result and the consequence of that sin is big. Now, hear me here. I want to move to food to think about this for a moment. I love food. I'll give you specifics. I love sandwiches. Good sandwiches are like my, one of the things that I'm, it just, it can consume me. Spicy Korean pork sandwich. Has anyone ever had one of those? Smoked tri-tip sandwiches. Fresh pastrami sandwiches. 
Amen, we're going. I'm leaving. Right? See, now, I can engage because I have the freedom, right? It's not hard at all for me to walk, to go down to, to uh, a sandwich shop here in Redlands. Savarino's is, by the way, a temple. You should go and worship. Um, go to Savarino's and get a Rocky Balboa cheesesteak with peppers and onions. Amazing. And I can go there and I can do that every day. Is that good for me? And if I do this, what I'm doing right now actually is part of the problem. Because here's what I do. I go, Rocky Balboa, oh baby. And then it starts going. And it starts going. And it keeps going. And the problem is eventually I find myself at the door of Savarino's buying a Rocky Balboa. I allow my appetite to consume me. And Paul is saying, friends, with your appetites of sexuality, you're allowing yourself to be consumed. You're allowing that brain, that mind, that heart to move towards something which is not beneficial. When we talk about our minds, be consumed with the renewing of your mind, Paul says elsewhere. For us to understand that those are the sorts of things that allow our appetites to flourish or consume us. You know, unfortunately, one of the problems that I have is salad doesn't do it, right? But there does need to be that sort of work for us to be consumed. And the problem that Paul is even addressing is Corinthians are allowing hooks to get in them, little hooks. I'm not going to do anything, but I'm going to walk past the temple today. I'm not going to do anything, but I'm just going to go up to the door and look in. The sorts of activity that eventually get their hooks in you enough that you find that all of a sudden you're at the door and you don't know how you got there. Anyone know what I'm talking about, how that works in your life? The consumption of our appetites and the hooks that sin throws out. That's what Paul is warning against. And when he says stuff like, and hear me here, prostitution here in the text has its connection to what word porneia. I'm going to assert this. When you and I, if we are involved in pornography, are engaging in prostitution. You are prostituting with an image. You're prostituting with a video, with whatever that is, whatever it can be. You are engaging in the exact same sort of behavior. It's, it's certainly not on the same level of a physical act, but you're engaging in the same sort of spiritual, emotional behavior that you would be if you went to a temple and visited a prostitute. Porn, pornography is not innocuous. It's not a victimless crime. It's not a victimless sin, friends. We and the person whose image we consume are the victims, and it is a prostituting of ourselves. That has to be the challenge. Hear it. If there is that time you whip out your smartphone or go to your computer or whatever it is. It can be a television show and that's the challenge, isn't it? Is that more and more those images are available anywhere. 
for us to not allow ourselves to be consumed. Verses 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, it's interesting this word that Paul uses, flee. It's a strong word in Greek. It is a almost violent word. It's not this idea of, oh, I shouldn't be walking this direction. I'll go the other way. It's basketball players will understand when I'm talking about a V-cut. Other way. Flee. Get away. And one of the challenges that we face is oftentimes we become anesthetized. Let me give you just a quick example in our culture. And I'm sorry if things are negative here, they're going to get positive in a moment. But I just, I need to talk about some of the negative of of the things around us before we can get to the positive of what God's plan is. I have one of those things uh, on my television when I'm switching channels called a guide. Anyone else have those guides that show you all the stuff that is on your little, whatever you're watching is in the top corner and then you see everything else that is on. There's one show that for whatever reason, every time it goes past, I always see it. It's this title, Naked and Afraid. Anyone ever heard of that show? I don't even want to ask if any of you have ever watched that show. The whole premise of the show is simply this. They drop off a man and a woman in the wilderness somewhere. Those man and woman take off all their clothes. And yes, everything is blacked over or blurred or whatever the whole show. But the whole purpose of the show is to show two naked people surviving in the wilderness. And if this were on one of those adult networks, I would understand. But you know what it's on? Discovery Channel. Frankly, that's something that I won't want to discover. <laughs> but see, the challenge is, there's other shows on Discovery that I, I think are, are shows that I, I, I've seen, I enjoy. So I don't take it off. I probably should. But every time it goes past, I see it. And you know what fleeing means? Move the button quicker. I don't want that. Fleeing means stop allowing ourselves to say it's okay. It's okay to go there. It's okay to see that. It's okay to think that. It's okay to take a glimpse. I remember this um, crazy phrase. I don't know. It was one of my weird uncles. And I have some weird uncles or cousin or something when I was growing up. They said something like, we were in public. We saw there was a beautiful woman over there who had not quite enough clothes on. And he looked and he said, hey, something like, check that out. And, and I, I looked. And then I said, you know, he's married. Is that okay? And he says, it doesn't matter where you get your appetite as long as you eat at home. That's a load of garbage. Friends, that's a load of garbage. And the problem that so often we have is we're finding places to get our appetite peaked. The 
problem is, as Paul talks about, be careful of your appetites. It doesn't take long to go down the wrong roads. Sure, you may bless your husband. You may bless your wife with your sexuality, as we're going to get to in a moment. But you're being consumed by something else. Flee. I'll give you another example. Um, if you ever see me at the RCS auction, the uh, Holland Festival auction, and I'm sitting without my wife, find Kristen and tell her I'm alone at the auction and get her to come sit with me. There's a reason for that. Because when I'm at the auction like that, and I am sitting on my own, Doug catches my eye during the auction, and I buy stuff that I don't need for prices that I can't afford. And I always think, oh, we'll use it. I always think, oh, it's a good deal. I always think that this is a good thing because it's for a good cause, right? That's the justification. The problem is, it's not really good for me. And I need to recognize that. In fact, I'm naming it here publicly. If you go to the Holland Festival this year, not all of you do, but some of you do, and you see me sitting on my own, come and challenge me or get Kristen by the hand, bring her over and sit her beside me. Because I need to flee. I need to recognize, I need to then live into new behavior that says this is a challenge for me. I'm recognizing a behavior that needs to be addressed and saying something has to be different. That's what fleeing is when we think about our sexuality. And all of us probably in some way can name a place similar to my auction. That there is some place where a behavior has to change. A block has to be put onto a computer. A conversation has to happen. Romance books shouldn't be read anymore. Whatever it is, and I know that some of you are saying, oh, that sounds silly and ridiculous. Guess what? That's godliness. Godliness is fleeing from those things that can consume us in porneia and pursuing righteousness in order to unite ourselves more deeply with Christ. Friends, what is it that you and I need to flee from? Now, let's get into some of the positive. Chapter 7. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And each woman with her own husband, a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, the wife to her husband. Now, as we look at that, some of you are going, oh, that sounds a little weird, and I'm not sure what Paul is seeing. That's why this is a phrase called, we need to understand, it's called mirror reading. What is it that Paul is seeing, what is he addressing that he's heard about? So, in a sense, what is the Corinthian church saying to Paul that he has to respond to? Well, in this particular text, he's responding to the fact that there are men in the Corinthian church who are going to visit temple prostitutes and saying it's okay to do that. Paul is saying, no, it's not okay to do that. And he is saying, instead, you need to be with your spouse. You need to be 
with your wife. Now, certainly, as you read this, it sounds awfully dry, right? Um, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, the wife to her husband. That's quite a pickup line for a husband to say to his wife on a Friday night, right? Can we fulfill our duty? I don't think that's Valentine's Day sort of phrasing and behavior, right? It's awfully dry. But what Paul is saying is, friends, especially if you are married, don't allow then yourself to be consumed in this pornea by going into the relationship that God has given you as this great and incredible gift and flourishing in that relationship flourishing in what it is that God has given you to do. And as a husband and wife, it is not only appropriate, it is designed, that's the duty part, it is designed for your relationship. My guess is that there are couples here who really struggle with this. There are couples here who have not engaged in healthy sexual relations for a really long time. And yet God's design is for husband and wife to live into that. I have it regularly in my conversations with spouses. There's three biggies when it comes to marriage conflict. It's money, it's sex, and it's family of origin. So basically your in-laws, which many of you are resonating with right now. Those are the three big conflicts. And when people are talking about sexuality in their relationship, a lot of times it's simply about we can't figure this out. That God has given us this gift. We can't figure out how to open the gift in a godly way. And Paul is saying, don't hesitate to work that out. It is a duty. It is part of how God designed marriages. Friends, we can't ignore those sorts of things. A good exercise for a husband and wife to do even today or in the week ahead, it's Valentine's Day week, have this conversation. How can I serve you as your spouse in our sexuality? How can I serve you? How can I fulfill God's design for us together in my relationship? Some of you, God be praised, have had many of those conversations and your relationship is flourishing. Many have not. And what we might be surprised by is oftentimes the things that help serve our spouse have nothing to do with sexuality. They have everything to do with time, words, care, tenderness. It's about how we even parent sometimes. How we cherish each other. For us to learn more about that, friends, as husband and wife, is our It is part of God's design. So if we're not living into that, if we're simply saying, you know what, it's too hard, I'm not going to do it. Or it's too hard, we'll just sort of whatever, figure out and, and stay status quo. If that's it, then we're not living into God's design, flourishing. Paul's going to use a word in a moment that I really, I think, speaks deeply to this. Now, one interesting thing that Paul also mentions here is right at the beginning, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Why would Paul say that? Why would Paul talk about when in essence is chastity and abstinence? What Paul is saying is that when I live into a relationship with my wife, it is in many ways a distraction from my relationship with God. And that is true. 
I have to spend significant portion of my life living into serving Christian, which I well should. If Christian were not a part of my life, I could then give more energy to serving Christ. Paul is living into that and he's recognizing the goodness of that. But he's also willing to say, he says it later on in a moment, you're going to see the word concession, not as a command, that this is what you should do so that you can flourish in a different way than I. So singles, widows, widowers, hear this. You are blessed. You are blessed. And I know that's hard to hear sometimes. Because sometimes you think, I'm lonely. I long for the person who I shared my bed with to be beside me. To share life with me. I hear you. But you also have the freedom that many others do not. To live more deeply into the love and relationship that Christ has with you. And for you and I to have that idea so we don't look down. And oftentimes, this is, this is a crime. Oftentimes, in our community, we see a single guy. Brian, how many times have you been asked, who are you dating? You did. Because we see a guy like Brian and we say, eligible guy, relatively good looking, man to man, you know, good And we say, Brian needs somebody. Brian doesn't. If God wills for Brian to have a relationship, God be praised. If God doesn't, God be praised even more, friends. And for us to affirm that, it is okay for us to live in singleness. Not Mario. Mario needs a woman. That's where we're going <laughs> to... But it is okay. In fact, it is blessed. And for us to affirm that. And to value that in the way that God's word does. It says that we as a church recognize that our community is diverse. And for there to be single people among us who are not only affirmed, but valued in what they contribute to the kingdom. That's important for us to hear from this text and from others. Singleness is valued of God. Of God. Verses four through seven. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a, here it is, concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. Paul is single, but each of you has your own, hear it here, gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. Paul is saying here that for us to fulfill the greatest commandment to love God with all our soul, with all our heart, with all our mind, with all of our strength is the most important thing. 
before anything, including our spouses, friends, for us to hear that. Our sexuality can oftentimes be a barrier to that. And then how we then live into our sexuality can allow us to flourish that. For us to hear that and say, I want to flourish. I want to flourish. Here's why Paul calls it a gift. When I live in relationship with Kristen, and I am willing to, as Paul says elsewhere in the book of Ephesians, he says that when I am willing to give myself up for my wife, just as Christ gave himself up for the church, the gift of marriage is that I learn more deeply what it means to live into relationship with Christ. And that is certainly sexually. When I live deeply into giving up my own designs, passions, even lusts, desires. When I am willing to give those up to my spouse, to my wife, and say what you desire, what you need is first. That's what Paul is saying here. It's why he says a husband's body is not his own. It is his wife's. Kristen is the same way. Thus, a a flourishing sexual relationship between a husband and wife is when we are living into the model of Christ, giving ourselves up for the other all the time. Over and over again, we're willing to say, I will put you first. I will put your needs first. I will put your desires first. That is flourishing sexuality. And friends, we know, right? That's hard. That's hard, right? Part of the challenge of sexuality is that when there is good sexuality, it feels really good. Physically, emotionally, relationally, everything. Good sexuality is something that is, uh, it's a positive. And I don't know about you, but I want more positives in my life. I want more of that. But for me to be able to say, I am willing to give up my needs, my desires, my longings for the positives of sexuality for the sake of my bride is me giving myself up for her just as Christ gave himself up for me. Good sexuality is selfless, friends. That's both for husbands and for wives. I can only speak from a husband's perspective. And I can also tell you as a professional who spends time with couples that oftentimes men, we need to hear. We are selfish sexual animals a lot of times. Animals I don't mean as a beast. I mean animals in terms of we, we are mammals, right? We're selfish. I can speak from that perspective. And for me to be selfless allows the blessing of good sex. Wives, I assume, because you're human, that you are often selfish in some way. I don't always, and frankly, I don't understand you almost at all, but in some way I'm sure that's the case. Why? Because you are sinful in the same way that I am sinful. For you to give up yourself selflessly is the blessing. See, Paul says here that this is a gift. He says his gift is singleness. For the married couple, the gift is togetherness. 
It is union. It is intimacy. It is sexuality. Which means that just as we need to affirm the singles of our congregation as having the opportunity to give glory to God in their own unique fashion and form, that we affirm marrieds as people who can give God glory in their own unique form. Friends, hear this. Sex is good. Teenagers in this room, college-age kids in this room, sex is good. It is a good gift of God. It is complex in this world to navigate and understand that sometimes, but God has given us the gift of sexuality in many ways for us to learn more deeply how to give up ourselves, how to be more selfless, how to serve another before our own needs. And when we live into that goodness, it helps us understand more deeply the goodness that is God's design for our relationship with God, with him, with Jesus. Because we're giving up ourselves. We're willing to take up our cross daily and follow him by giving up ourselves. Sexuality is good. It is a blessing. A challenging one, but a blessing nonetheless. As we discover this together and as you marrieds go home, have your conversations. As you singles go home, widowers, widows go home. As you kids go home, have your conversations. Start with that premise. Sex is a good gift from God. How do I best receive that gift? Let's pray. Father, we pray your blessing on us as sexual creatures. You have created us to be that way. And that is a gift for which we are grateful. We also want to gain and grow in our understanding. We want to learn more deeply from your word and from what you continue to show to us how to do that best, to flourish in who you've made us as sexual beings. I pray for those who are single, Lord, those who are not with a partner that they can express these desires. I pray, Lord, do you give them wisdom and discernment. Help them to know those healthy places, healthy expressions of care and love and tenderness that can affirm in them an intimacy, intimacy of friendship and relationships around them and that can, that can be meaningful and deep in their hearts and their minds to give them the sort of care that can often come from a married relationship. We pray that you protect them from those things that are pornea, that they can flee, that they can move towards those things that are righteous. We pray for our marrieds. We pray for those who are flourishing in their sexuality as couples. Lord, continue to flourish, continue to bless, continue to nurture and grow that relationship in beautiful ways. For those who have questions or maybe it's not... <clears throat> It's not flourishing in the same way, Lord. We pray, Lord, your blessing that, Lord, discussions, conversations can happen so that they can more deeply live into worship of you and how they interact as a couple sexually, that they can glorify you more deeply. And I pray, Lord, for those couples who are here struggling deeply. Perhaps there's histories of abuse. Perhaps there's histories of addiction. Certainly there's brokenness and adultery that has happened. 
And Lord, I pray, Lord, your comfort, your peace, your healing, your transformation. I pray, Lord, that your comfort comes alongside those who are hurting. And that, Lord, there can be redemption, repentance, flourishing in the future. That, Lord, through hard work and through your presence and the power of your spirit, good things can come, healing can happen, and a couple can grow. Lord, I pray that all of us can live into the world that we live into, which all of its diverse messages about sexuality, some of the challenges that we hear about, some of the things that are talked about or, or produced that become challenging for us to, to you know, avoid or, or not be a part of. Sometimes, Lord, it seems like it's so in our face. Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom and discernment to let those things in that help us flourish and to flee from those things which do not. In all this, Lord, may we, may we worship you. Lord, we, you call us to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. That means that we love you with who we are as sexual beings. Lord, help us to love you with that too. Pray these things in Christ. Amen.